Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey y'all, it's Dina Kispe, lead producer here. It's that time of the week where we dive into stories from around Houston. Joining me today are producer Carleon Jones and politics contributor Evan Mintz. It's Friday, March 3rd. I'm Dina Kispe, and here's what Houston's talking about. Carly, Evan, are y'all ready to talk about the news of the week? Of course. Absolutely. All right, Evan, kick us off. What is the biggest story this week in Houston? I think the biggest story in Houston this week are the rumors that HISD will be taken over by the Texas Education Agency. Yes, that is a huge one. It is huge, but also feels a little bit like Groundhog Day because I've been writing about this since like 2017. You know, this has been a long time issue, and it feels a little bit like the state is just looking for an excuse to put the screws to HISD. Mm. Like it has this reputation that HISD is some kind of failing school district. HISD is a huge school district. Yeah. And it has uh, one school that has failing problems. It has also many, many great schools. But apparently, like the only remedy that the TA has is to take over the entire school district. Yeah. What would that even look like if they were to take over the entire school district? Well, there are three things that could happen. One is that they'd appoint a a conservator who would basically like oversee the whole thing. Uh, They could replace the entire elected board with a board of managers uh, or they could allow to kind of keep operating. But with some type of TEA oversight, it's not quite clear. But it's also not quite clear to me, like, why they were taking it over right now anyways. Mm-hmm. The thing that would trigger this conversation was uh, Wheatley High School's routine failures. But it has since uh, lifted its grade. And this is something that really started in 2019. Mm. Or it could have been that the board was caught violating the Open uh, Meetings Act. And there are some uh, questionable practices when it came to directing contractors. But that also was 2019. This is like nearly four years ago. Mm. And you can go back and look at like 2017 when a lot of this conversation first happened, that Mm. the TEA was looking to take over HISD. I don't quite know what TEA is trying to pull off here. Mm -hmm. And also, the experts don't know either. Uh, There was a report published by Brown University looking at 35 school districts that were taken over between 2011 and 2016. And it found that vast majority of them did worse. Like there was no improvement. And that was the experience, say, with our next door neighbors in Beaumont. Beaumont ISD got taken over by the state for financial reasons. It was in financial trouble, not like uh, educational trouble. Uh, And while the the finances got sorted out, the school district did worse. Wow. In in 2019, when it really seemed like a lot of this uh, takeover stuff was going to happen, there's an op-ed in the Houston Chronicle co-authored by Josh McGee from the Manhattan Institute, which is a pretty conservative institution, pointing out that states have pretty lousy records when they take over local school districts. Wow. Oh, my gosh. The thing is, like, this is crazy. I was talking to a friend because this is definitely the biggest story in in Houston. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised when my friend, who's a teacher, saw this as a big positive Hmm. and was actually like, yay, I'm so excited. I'm like, 
are you sure? Like, do you, do you know a lot about like what could possibly happen? So like to people like that, why would they even think that this is a good idea? You know, that's not the first I've heard of teachers being generally dissatisfied with management of the district. Mm. That they feel like that there really isn't a lot of direction, that there's not leadership from the top, it's chaos from the top. And that there's a general sense that everyone is expected to be an A-plus campus, when in reality, if you take kids who uh, don't have resources, who have chaotic lives at home, who don't have all the wraparound services that wealthy people just have inherently in their lives, Mm. that you're not going to have an A-plus campus, that those ratings are more reflective of who the students are rather than the services the school provides. Mm. But you can take a school that, say, is a C-plus and try to lift it to a B. Mm -mm that there needs to be this realistic expectation of what teachers can and can't do with the resources given them. But that that realistic perspective just isn't taken by HISD leadership. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Wow. So we can't, I can't really fault them when they've had it so bad these last few years for them thinking, oh, this is like, this got to be better than what we're in right now, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would say, you know, be careful what you wish for. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least with a status quo, you know what the problems are. If you have a state takeover, who knows ridicu- what ridiculousness is going to happen? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, is it true that it's going to start next week? Like, do we know exactly definitively this is happening now? We don't know. The TEA hasn't said anything. <sighs> wow. This is this is anxiety inducing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Carly, what about you? What was the biggest story in Houston for you? So we know that the opioid overdose deaths are rising uh, yeah. continuously, like all over the country. Yeah. But Texas lawmakers seem to kind of finally be taking some action against it. Um, several bills were filed to try to legalize fentanyl test strips, which have been said to be a really good harm reduction tactic. So this is a good thing, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. because right now the test strips are illegal in Texas and you can get like a class C misdemeanor or a $500 fine for using them, which Wild. is insane. Like I'm trying to figure out exactly why they made them illegal in the first place. Um I, I, like, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of get it. But at the same time, it's, it's just like. It's better for somebody to test and know what they are putting in their body than to just take the risk of overdosing. It's just kind of crazy to me. The whole idea of everything is crazy to me. But like Greg Abbott has even spoken up about legalizing the test strips. Um, He did it at U of H in December Mm -hmm. during a visit and then also addressed it during his State of the State address earlier last month. So maybe this means we'll have like some change coming soon. Yeah, maybe. I mean, how often do we see both sides uniting on something? <laughs> not often, not often. So, like that—that that shows you how like powerful of a topic and discussion that this is, because it's not just a Texas thing at this point. It's literally everywhere, and they're seeing other states do different things about it. So, I'm happy to see Texas like stepping up and kind of uniting in a way mm-hmm. to get something done. Yeah, that's a that's definitely one I'm following too. I'm glad that they're taking it seriously yeah. because for too long we've treated drug overdoses as a uh, problem to be solved by the criminal justice yeah. system. Mm-hmm. And clearly mm-hmm. that's not working. That's not the solution. We need to treat this like a public health issue, mm-hmm. get at it with data and research and evidence, and try to solve the problem that way rather than just hoping that arresting people and hurting them is going to be the solution because clearly it's not. Mm-hmm. 
I yeah, agree. Exactly. Y'all, for me, this week, the biggest story was Crosby ISD adopting the four-day school week. That's insane. I love it. <laughs> I know mm-hmm. kids are probably like yes. super excited, but <laughs> this is really speaking to the, the teacher shortage that they're facing more than anything. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Crosby's the first district to do it. And it's one of the largest school districts in Texas to do this. Who's to say that we're not going to see this more? I feel like because we have a shortage of teachers, this is probably something more school districts are going to have to look to do as well to address the teacher shortages, which is not really a solution, in my opinion. We really have to look more at what the cause of the teacher shortages, which we kind of already know, and then addressing those head on. And I guess this just just seems like a Band-Aid, in my opinion. See, to me, like, I don't think it's a full, um, like, you know, fix. Of course, it's not. Mm-hmm. But if I was a teacher and I was looking for a job mm-hmm. and they uh, were offering me a four-day work week, I would sign up for it. I would. Oh, for sure. Because, <laughs> you know, like, for sure. you know, something. Y'all are giving me something here. Like, you know, if y'all can't increase my pay or something like that, like, at least I don't have to stress out as much. Mm-hmm. I think it'll allow for more balance mm-hmm. for a lot of teachers. I mean, that's one of the things that teachers talked about is like wanting that extra day in order for them to actually work and catch up on like Mm -hmm. setting uh, plans for their classes, grading, all these things. But there is a ripple effect. Evan, what do you think about this? Mm. You know, last week we talked about the uh, idea of a four-day work week for adults, for parents. But if you don't match changes at the school district level, with what's going to be happening for the rest of the family, it seems like a recipe for disaster. So, yeah. You know, how are families going to deal with that extra day with kids at home? Mm-hmm. Are they going to have to pay out of pocket for childcare? Mm. How is that going to be arranged? And I, I'm a little skeptical of this. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone out there who's a greater proponent for the 32 hour work week than I. I really think it is something that we need to start demanding as a society. Uh, but it has to come together in a cohesive, rational way. And just taking one school district and tossing them off into the deep end like this, uh, I'm skeptical that it's going to be uh, good for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, did they clarify whether it's just a four-day school week for the children or if it's also a four-day work week for the teachers? Or is, like, the the fifth day a day that they just don't have to deal with kids, but they still have to come to work? Mm-hmm. What I saw is that, Uh, the teachers are expected to use that Friday Mm -hmm. uh, for teacher service, Mm -hmm. basically like doing your work, Mm -hmm. uh, and that they would switch back to a five-day week uh, towards the end of the year. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So this isn't necessarily going to happen all year. Mm -hmm. It's kind of cut into blocks, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they're also adding 30 minutes at the end of every school day during the four-day schedule, Mm. according to the district. And then Friday is like going to be the day that staff takes as a development day. So the development is going to be from September to mid-April. And then it's from mid-April to the end of the school year in May that they'll come back to the five-day schedule. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have to say that I'm just skeptical of the whole thing. Schools are supposed to be for educating kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we should be looking at that is the top goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like so much of the decision-making around education in Texas is based on budgets yeah. or political philosophy mm-hmm. yeah. rather than student outcomes. Right. And, you know, I don't think that's hitting, you know, one side or the other. I think it's true across the political spectrum. Uh, but we really need to be looking at schools and asking, like, are they doing their jobs or not? Yeah. Uh, and if not, 
what will help them do that? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. But when they voted this in, it was very close. It was a 4-3 vote. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was was real close. mm -hmm. We'll see what happens. All right, y'all. Most overlooked story. Evan, what should get more attention? The most overlooked story is something that is personal to me. Mm. A new salad to go (laughs) has popped up at the (laughs) intersection of University and Greenbrier. And the land use at that one corner just makes me want to pull my hair. (laughs) Yes, it is just one little spot, but is indicative of larger problems across the entire Houston region. Mm. Now, anyone who knows this intersection knows it's located right between Rice University and the Rice University Village, a little outdoor shopping center. Mm -hmm. And the village recently did some good work trying to identify their parking problems and centralizing all of the free parking into one big parking garage where you go, you park there, you get out, you walk around. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of paid parking around there, and the pay is supposed to disincentivize people from just plopping their cars there and staying there for several hours. Right. At the same time, at Rice University, you have several thousand students, many of whom don't have a car. Mm. And when they need to get around, they're going with a friend, they're taking mass transit or an Uber, or they're just walking or biking. Mm-hmm. So this new salad to go at this corner lot is a little tiny box with a drive through to get your drive through salads because everyone just like knows like salad, that's your that's the thing you eat in the car, uh, and a whole bunch of parking yeah. spots. So why do you need so many parking spots for a drive through salad place? It just drives me nuts. And of course, the answer is going to be something like, well, that's what the land use regulations say you have to do. The city mandates that you have to put in parking. Mm-hmm. And even if they didn't, the presumption, if you build anything, is that, well, you've got to put in parking spots. No. This is terrible. This is a bad use of land. (laughs) It creates a heat island effect. It creates runoff. And it just looks Mm. like shit. You know, we get to have so much across the entire Houston region. You have so many things that look like they're made for a feeder road and often because they're along a feeder road. So, yeah, like a drive through makes sense. Tons of parking makes sense. Not here. Not at this one spot. This is one of the few nice walkable areas in town. Can we at least get some design oriented towards that? Can we get something with not like a huge setback? where you can just kind of walk up from the sidewalk like a normal city? Can we get something where, like, you don't really need tons of parking because there's a huge parking lot right down the street? Or why do you even need parking? Because it's a drive-through salad place. (laughs) I want the entire city council, I want the entire commissioner's court to come down and look at this, realize what, like, god-awful monstrosities we're building in the city, (laughs) and change the underlying land use regulation so we don't do this anymore. Stop the salads, The passion y'all. is real. I know, right? So much Stop drama. Stop the salads. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if I was there and if I tr- actually like frequented that part of town, I'd probably feel as passionately as you, Evan. <laughs> Thank you. But it's not just about this one little spot here. It's about why we can't have nice things in Houston. Yeah. Though we make it so mm. hard to build things at the scale of mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to have a massive setback, If you don't want to have parking minimums, you have to go and ask for a variance. Mm -hmm. Now there are a few places in town where we're starting to make some progress. We have transit-oriented development around transit stops Mm -hmm. in Midtown and east of downtown. We've gotten rid of parking minimums. And downtown's never really had Mm. But we just don't let people, we don't make it easy to build good things. I heard a developer say that Houston makes it very easy to build mediocre stuff. Mm. We need to make it easy to build nice things. Yeah, yeah. Damn, ouch, that hurts. Oh, my God. I felt it. I, I felt it because it makes sense. He's actually right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Carly, what was your overlooked story this week? 
So mine is that George Floyd's brother, Philanise, and his wife, Keita, mm. have started a nonprofit in Floyd's honor. Mm-hmm. Um, the organization is called Philanise and Keita Floyd Institute for Social Change. And the couple is basically hoping to use this organization to influence things like public policy, voter registration, and to help um, with mental health awareness and services Mm -hmm. in underserved communities Mm -hmm. like Third Ward, where Floyd was from. And I just love this. Um, I love when people take situations that were horrifying and bad and turn them into something positive for the community. So um, I just, you know, over it was overlooked because, you know, a lot of people aren't worried about this since the, you know, HISD is going crazy Mm -hmm. with all these different things. So I just wanted to kind of highlight this story. Yeah, that's a really positive one, too. I, I was so happy when I read that. It's sad because, you know, what it took to get here. But it's it's definitely a way that I see his family is trying to positively remember George Floyd and associate his name with something positive. And I love that. Me too. So my overlooked story is something that kind of frustrates me, but I also see the side of why it is the way it is. So a group of volunteers, Food Not Bombs, pretty familiar with them. I've volunteered with them actually once upon a time. They were all cited mm-hmm. for feeding, for serving food outside of the downtown Houston library to about like 100 people before an officer stopped them, told them to what? move to another location. Uh, one of them actually received a ticket from the officer. Mm. So it's not, there was still not a lot of clarifications as to like what exactly went down or if the, if the group even is going to come back and give food to the unhoused people that are downtown in that area Will they move the food to a different distribution site? But, you know, unfortunately, it is illegal to provide charitable food Mm -hmm. service events in public places in Houston without the permission of the city. But it's just like the amount of hoops that you'd have to go to. Like, imagine if you just had a sandwich in your car, Mm -hmm. you just ordered an extra one and you wanted to give it to a homeless guy. Mm -hmm. Like, you're too scared to even do that because you're like, am I going to get cited for this? Am I going to get a ticket for this? You know, if I remember the rules, you have to feed like more than five people. Mm -hmm. And that's like that. It, it has to be. It was set up in a way where they're trying to disincentivize mass feedings. That's a terrible term yeah. on property without permission. And so originally there were issues of people going to private parking lots, and the owners were saying like, "Hey, there's a bunch of garbage left over." Like, and the the police would say, "Well, the only way we can really take care of the garbage is by ticketing the people who are littering, uh, who are the people eating the sandwiches, and we really don't want to give littering tickets to a bunch of people who don't have homes." Mm-hmm. So the city tried to create some type of system where you need permission or they try to direct you to the right place to go. But like nobody's happy with this. This isn't like a good outcome for anyone. And part of me is like really glad that there's always someone out there who's just kind of poking their finger in the eye of authority (laughs) to say like, no, we're going to keep feeding people. Like it's healthy as a society to have a group like Food Not Bombs that does this. Mm Yeah. So question to clarify, you're saying that it's if you feed over five people, that's when it becomes illegal. I think that's the number. Yeah. And it has to be on property without permission. So if you get permission to be there, you can do it. Mm, Okay. Okay. I understand. It's just like frustrating when you're trying to do something good and you still get like backlash from it. Mm -hmm. But I do understand the idea of having a property and getting frustrated from trash too. So it's like, I see both sides in that situation for sure. And a a story that I'd heard, and I have to go check this, is that the city has asked Food Not Bombs to like, please apply for a permit. Mm -hmm. And like, we'll find a place where you can do Mm -hmm. this and everyone's okay. 
And Funapam says, no, we shouldn't need a permit hmm. to do something like hmm. this. Uh, it's sticky okay. because as I see the, the side of Food Not Bomb saying like, why do I need to get a permit to feed people who are hungry? Whereas the city's like, we're trying to keep mm-hmm. the city clean. But maybe the solution also is like Food Not Bombs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it's like now um, with them, but have a volunteer that's constantly picking up the trash if there is trash around. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's yeah. the middle ground? I, I don't know. But I think that a group Food Not Bombs is philosophically driven. Uh, and I think there's something that's good about that, that they've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. You don't really see Food Not Bombs people getting arrested for breaking these rules mm-hmm. or getting cited. Like they're not getting rounded up. Yeah. So there's like a healthy restraint by the city to let them do their thing. And every now and then the city will say, like, we really need you to get a permit. We really need to change how this operates. And Food Not Bombs says, like, no, that's not what we're about. We're not doing this. We are going direct to the people and we don't need government intervention. Power to them, honestly. Mm. Power to them. It's uh, You don't want everyone doing right. it. Right. <laughs> but you kind of want one group doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you also have to compromise. Yeah. All right, let's talk about what's making us happy. Evan, what is bringing you joy? Just this morning, I was walking out to my car, and my daughter looks down in the garden and goes, ooh, look, a strawberry. <laughs> and I say, well, no, sweetie. Like, the strawberries aren't red yet. And she goes, no, this one's red. The first red strawberry of the season. Yes. Yes. It's time to garden. It's gardening time. I'm ready to go. Spring is springing. Spring is springing. (laughs) I've got my 12 tomato plants. Some of them have been there since January, ready to go. They're flowering. My apple tree has got little baby apples on there. I love that. You know, my citruses, not a lot of flowering because of our February freeze. Same with the loquat. So that's not good. Mm -hmm. But like now is the time. For gardening. And if you're just thinking now, like, oh, maybe I should get tomatoes in the garden, too late. It's too <laughs> late to put tomatoes in. What you need to do, if you really want to, is go to a garden shop and see if they have tomatoes in like a one gallon plant, a three gallon plant, like some big boys <laughs> that are ready to go. Like, that's what you need to do if you don't have any tomatoes yet. But you can do your eggplants, you can do your bell peppers. You know, it's really a uh, gardening season. It's just so nice out. Uh, I hope that it does not go higher uh, than. One more degree than what it is today until like <laughs> the end of May because then it would be too hot. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> but like right now, it's great. Like between 60 to 80 degrees, perfect gardening weather. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. And that's amazing. A strawberry. It's been nice. <laughs> <laughs> Carly, what about you? What's making you happy? CityCast Houston is taking the rodeo and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So uh, we're going to go out to um, one of the concerts, the Southern Takeover. Uh, So if y'all are there, hey, say hi to us. Stop by, say hi to us. Um, I'm so excited to go. I might just do like a little vlog for y'all for the social medias if I have time or if I can. Um, But it's going to be super fun. And I'm just so excited to like be there as a um, team and really just experience Houston and the Houston Rodeo. Because me and AK, like, we haven't been to, like, the concerts before. I've been to the rodeo. I don't think he's been to the rodeo before. Yeah. So it's going to be, like, brand new for him completely. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. That was definitely my moment of joy of getting our team their Mm -hmm. press credentials, which is so exciting. It's going to be the first time, the first year, taking on the rodeo. Mm -hmm. And it's rodeo season, so everyone get out there carpool or you know what don't even drive take the park and ride (laughs) 
<laughs> Anyways, have fun this weekend. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy the gardening, Evan. Enjoy the rodeo. Yes. And we'll be back next week. Thank you all so much for joining me. Will do. Thank you. Thank you. That was producer Carleon Jones and politics contributor Evan Mintz. That's all I got for y'all today on CityCast Houston. I'm lead producer Dina Kispeth. Our producers are Carleon Jones and Akian Mutman. And we had help this week from Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editor is Brooke Lewis. And our music is by All the Kimonos. Catch us at the rodeo on Saturday, y'all. We'll be back on Monday. Bye. That was producer Carleone Jones and politics contributor Evan Mitt. My son keeps moving my bolt. My dude. Dude. Ah. Here, play with this.